You're listening to Transplaner RPG, an all-transgender, people-of-color-led, dark-fantasy actual play channel set in an original non-colonial, anti-orientalist multiverse. The Chaos Protocol is our second main campaign and stars Valiant Dorian, Kai Kay, and Sam Starr as players, with C. Thomas as the producer and Connie Chong as the game master. Transplaner RPG is sponsored by Explain Trade, a negotiation skills training consultancy whose director, Dimitri Opines, has asked us to say, and I quote, Please sign up for Transplaner's Patreon, because at some point people will figure out he's a cisgender white guy failing upward, and then he'll be too broke to sponsor us. We love you, Dimitri, and thank you so much for supporting our work. Content warnings for this episode include fire, immolation, fantasy violence, manipulation, complex and complicated relationships, Trauma, grief, swimming, water, heights, flying, falling, body horror, monsters and monstrosity, romance, flirting, environmental destruction, and pollution. Arc 1, Episode 29. Lover Hold Me. From Self-Eulogy of a Martyr by Connie Chong. Like pouring water on grease. Roaring tongues of fire explode from Sayer's body, billowing upward in a pillar of incandescent flame. The fire is swift. The fire is hungry. But most of all, the fire is fed by rage. Red hot sparks leap from branch to branch to branch to branch until the entire yawning canopy above your heads is ablaze with crimson light. The fire propagates like a thirsty red weed. There is no function but destruction, no form but flame. Aragnus is growling, surging, roaring, rampaging out of Seir. He is not yet fully formed. The flames need time to grow, to shape, to mold their sparking violence into the silhouette of a once forgotten god. But the process of becoming requires sacrifice. Heat rolls off Seir in furious airy waves, his skin, his eyes, his hair, his being, is feel for the fire that roars and roars and roars. Tell me, Sayer, what is the color of your soul? The color of his soul is iridescent blue caped with sparks of obsidian. Blue and black flakes peel from your body bright blue striking black the same color as your eyes your irises and all of you realize in that moment that on its way out a regness is consuming sayer's soul alive sayer as a regness roars back into existence the name of that track I inflicted upon your character sheet all those sessions ago is finally revealed. Baron of Flame. Mark the third box, and with it, tell me, what immortal part of you does Oregnus consume in fire? Oregnus consumes part of Sayer's flame, that innate power that seeps within him. There is a small, blue sapphire sparkle that sits within him and as 
this aspect of him is drawn out and consumed. There is a hollowness as he exhales. <gasps> and it's gone. We see that sapphire spark leave your mouth, your breath, your soul, as it begins to siphon upward and join the coruscating, roiling flames, or at least it tries to. And Aregnus would have forever and irrevocably consumed that sapphire spark if it weren't for your sister. We pull in on Singh's face. We see the fire reflected in her eyes, those violent red knives billowing around her brother's shoulders. There is fear, mortal, tangible fear in her face for her brother's fate, as deep as the love she holds for her sibling. There is also sudden understanding. And Sing, as always, is the first to act. They rush forward, white mane billowing like a destined flag, and without hesitation, without flinching, without even a gasp of pain, Sing plunges into the roaring fire and grabs their brother. The flames leap to her skin, her robes, her antlers, crumbling cherry blossoms to ash, coruscating red across her hair, but she doesn't care. They grab you, Sayer. They pull you, yank you, break you from Oregonus's grasp as thrall, as the last of that ancient fire god pours out of your soul, and you watch that sapphire spark get sucked back into your body. The hollow feeling subsides as the two of you collapse onto the bark beneath your feet, smothered in smoke and ash and dust. And now, as the two of you fall together, arm in arm, twin in twin, we pan to the witnesses who see this all happen. What memory roars into each of your minds as Oregnus is reborn? Starting with Amrgen. Amrgen remembers their mother but she must have been holding me because i'm a, i'm like above her or maybe i was on like the like stairs because i'm like i'm like way above her like five feet higher than her and then she remembers being held as a baby which you usually don't but i i think in these moments it just feels like you know she's so close to the wild sea it must be the wild sea giving her these memories because she wouldn't remember being a baby, but she like has this feeling of being held as a baby after being on like a table or something like above her mom. Hmm. You remember looking down at your mother from so high up. What is it? Five feet, 10, 20, 40. What's the difference between five and 40 really when the only bridge between you is love? Looking down at Mylesia, you see your mother's slightly lined but not quite face spattered with storm water. Eyes wide, reaching up, hands toward you, and then you remember being cradled against her chest. You smell her. You smell salt and rain and storm and ozone and your mother. You smell your mother and you hear her heartbeat. And you feel your own pulse in rhythm with your mom's. Twin hearts beating. No, it's not just the two of you, it's the heartbeat of the Wild Sea itself. It has always thrummed in your blood, Amargin. It has always been you. You have always been it. And as Oregnus 
roars out of Seir and starts to burn Tianmu. Burn the darkness under eaves. You feel your blood burning to... <laughs> Zainan, what memory roars into your mind as this fire god bursts reality? It was a normal day. It started as one. I mean, it, everything's been harder in... Haruna since the lake started to drop its level but at least this morning before the messenger came Zainan had spent most of it just doing work he remembers so vividly sitting under the tree with Pira and Dom Azalis and little Doxa when the radio signal came in the water levels had dropped so far that Pira couldn't stay anymore the fracturing, the dust really starting to take, and it's all he can see in the flames. Rending. Loss. You see that image of a family. Yes, Zionin, the family you once had, the happiness that you once cradled in your hands like a baby bird. Doxa, Pira, Dom, Azalis on the steading, and as the flames lick upward through this memory, you see every person in that memory fracture. Dom crumbling outward, Azalis crumbling upward, Pira the first to break away, just you and Doxa, and even that shatters outward. And on the shattering, every fragment of this happy family crumbles into dust dust that joins the swirling ash as white-hot flames lick leaves to nothing, to oblivion. Lumira, what memory seizes you? Staring at the flame, Lumira's eyes get caught in this one flicker that's off to the side that looks like it's changing between blue and green, and it Weirdly enough, takes her back to one of the few cohesive memories, dreams that she has of her childhood. She's under water, but she's not scared. She's swimming and it's dark everywhere. But as she moves and swims through the water, Something happens in the water where it starts to shimmer as she moves through the water. Like this very bright teal blue shimmering as she's just coming up to the top of the surface and breaks the surface of the water. Mm. As you break through the surface and take that inhale of breath, you see the moon in the sky, a bright, beautiful white circle shining down at you. And there is peace and there is calm and there is color around you. As you look up at this moon, casting its pale but warm light across your body, something starts to eclipse it. And with it, it begins to eclipse your memory, a bright black circle. What is that? What is that? And as it continues to cover the moon like the hand of some ancient precept robbing light from the sky, you gasp back into your body in the now. 
in the wild sea as you see everything burn around you again, again. And now we pull back onto the faded twins. Sing grabs you by the shoulders, Sayer, pink eyes wide, and you realize exactly what has transpired. They have saved you in every sense of the word. You see Cosmos reflected in your sister's gaze, pink halos of collapsing stars, black holes, the size of her pupils, constellations of infinite realities. And then Sing says to you, staring at you with ardent concentration, without judgment, without value, without even personal belief in the words that come out of her mouth, but as a simple, plain, undeniable, ontological truth of the journey. You are not my brother. You are my doom. Thayer sees it, the truth that he's feared for so long, the understanding of the gulf between himself and his sibling. And he asks a question that he begs for an answer that he does not know he actually wishes. Could you love me if I was both? Sing's eyes widen as though stung, as though struck, but she continues holding you with both hands on your shoulders and a breath catches in her throat. She doesn't know how to reply, not because the answer is difficult for her to find, but because it is so simple, so obvious that it is staggering to her and yet impossible to say out loud without openly defying everything she was taught to be. But before she can respond to you, Sayer, a regness begins to form, truly form, erratically, rapidly, flames roar in perfect agonizing rage, the darkness under eaves lights up like a midnight sun. Heat surges, leaves dwindle to ashen crisps, Sing rips their attention away from you like it's painful, their brow bright with sweat, heavy with focus. She won't speak with you, Sayer, no, she can't speak with you. Even now, she will, she must be the hero. She must be the chosen one. I, the world comes first, Sayer. Destiny demands we fight. And then she launches herself upward, pink platform by pink platform, sword drawn, angled toward a massive flaming jaw that is just beginning to ribbon into existence, and you do not see the tears brimming in her eyes. As Sing surges toward that still forming dread fire god, we see that Strike Team Nova and the Scions are moving with purpose. Starting with Zynan. Zynan is shook out of the vision of flame, the ash beginning to really fall from the leaves burning, and his eyes lock on the scions. The mission, these people, their world, the next home that cannot be shattered apart, and he starts running towards them. Mm. So you're on the branch, this huge branch that is on fire, that's crumbling to ash on the edges. So how are you springing down to the darkness under eaves to the loam 30 or 40 feet beneath your feet. Zynan is very quick to look at the 
the greenery that's kind of grown over this branch. There's vines all over the Wild Sea. And though he doesn't understand the greenery the way that Captain Axel does or that Amarjin does, he understands what a vine looks like and he runs straight for one and is going to grab it and just not even use it to swing down, but just like slide down it as quickly as possible. You slide down it with fervor and the vine burns you, it cuts you, it's rough and the friction sears like the heat roaring all around you and then your boots land on soft, dark, fertile loam and you rush over to the scions. Who are you fixating on? What's your goal here? Zainan promised Abasi's parents to help and he just sees that look again that Maswu had that He saw her reflection in his eyes the last time we saw this red flame, and we're not doing this again. (laughs) And he uh, rushes over to try and help spot the next way out, the next move. As the fires continue surging, you see a bossy in particular jaw slack was in the middle of glowing. Now the glow has died down to just a faint hum. She's looking up at Sayer with such ardent betrayal on her face, even as Sayer collapses to his knees upon that burning branch and his twin launches upward. And you hear a bossy say, Sayer? No, no, no. How could you? How could he? How? And then you're upon her. We gotta go. I, I... The Kreserin, yeah. we've gotta go. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I... Oh, Sayer! And Abasi spreads her gauntlets. The wings splay out. She flaps her arms once, twice, takes to the air and starts gliding over to Sayer, leaving Amarjan and Suhyon behind. But you, looking around with that survivalist mindset, you see safe passageways being cut through the flames, and each one of them is closing before your eyes as time ticks onward. You see a couple of potential paths upward and out of the dark earth, and you catch Suhyon's eyes and remember their story about their father and all of the blessings of their death that they carry with them that they placed within the offering bowl that has now smoldered to ash. I, Sinan, yes, yes, to safety. This is awful. This is awful. Focus. Focus. I need the mind of the Wild Sea right now. Yes. Yes, the mind. My father's mind. My mind. And they take a deep breath, close their eyes, and when they exhale and open their eyes again, the glowing that ensconces them burns a little bit brighter, shedding light that beats back the crimson hue ensconcing them. Which way? There. And Suhyon points. And you see in your own gaze, Zainan, and the gazes of everyone else, a safe path light up from the darkness under eaves, ding, 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 up like a couple of vines that form impromptu ladders up to safer branches that will take longer to burn and crumble to ash. And they nod in Amarjan's direction. Amarjan, we can take this pathway up to safety, as Zainan has helped me show. No. No. No? Leave if you want. I am not done here yet. And on that look of resolution settling on your face, Amarjan, and barely bridled rage, we pan back up through the smoke, the fire, the ash to find Lumira perched upon that branch. What do you do as you spring into action? 
Lumira is also going to do the same slide down but I think instead of actually sliding down she kind of just like jumps down and like bit by bit yeah Yeah. uh uh-huh as she's working way down because there's a lot going on that's I'm not there yet so once I hit the ground I think after doing a quick assessment of what's happening down there she's going to start in the exit direction and run up to the print and gets ready to grab them before like pulling her hand back is it okay we have to go and like reaches her hand out uh, yes of, of course and Suhyun takes your hand in theirs and gestures toward the lit up glowing blue path that spirals its way up 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 through the canopy Lumira there's a safe passageway I think we can take it all the way up through the drown the sink the tangle and the thrash away from the flames, or rather by we, I mean you. I know you came down here, but this doesn't have to be your fight if you don't want it to be, Lumira, and everything is burning and I I have to stay behind. I'm not leaving Amargin, I'm not leaving Abasi, but the path is there for you and your friends to take. You've known me long enough to know that I will never abandon a mission. My mission is you. If you don't leave, neither will I. Well, I will be glad to call you an ally by my side. In that case, I will keep that path to safety lit up for anyone who wants it or needs it. But Amargin, I'm staying here with you. I'm staying here with Abasi, with Seir, with Singh, with Zainan, and I'm here to fight. When they say Seir, I look at them with, I think for the first time they've experienced like violence. Do not say that name to me. Amargin. And a tragic look darkens Suhyeon's face. Lumira, how are you responding to Suhyeon's declaration of staying behind and fighting for their home? Lumira would never fight against that. Never fight against someone who's standing up for their home, trying to keep it safe, trying to protect it. She gets it. So while she's mildly discontent, She stands ground and stays at the ready for backup if needed. Suhyeon turns their startling gaze away from Amarjan, rips it from the other scion, and drills their gaze into your eyes. And you feel as though you're being seen. Seen in a true way. Seen in a deep, piercing way that you haven't felt since you saw Mylesia last and left the shores of Siren's song. And then Suhyeon places another hand over yours, so they're clasping your fingers between theirs. And they say, I feel the conflict running through your mind, Lumira. And I noticed that I was the first person you sprang to after Aregnus ripped his way into existence. And Lumira, I need you to know that I don't need to be saved. You don't have to worry about me. And I think that when you look at me, Lumira, sometimes you're not seeing me. You're seeing the you that needed saving a long time ago. I'm not a younger you, Lumira. I'm Suhyeon. I'm a scion. As you know, this is my home, and I want to protect it. Just like how you were once a child and you wanted to protect your home too. So let's do it together, side by side, not with you in front of me, not with me in front of you but as people who both know what it means to have a home that is in danger. Yes? Lumera doesn't vocally respond. I think she sits 
in that when the print said they aren't the little kid that needed saving like she was, I think it was a hit. Not even a hit, but it was something that took the breath from her in that moment. And she stumbled backwards a bit before stealing her resolve and nodding her head at the print, reaching into her boots to grab her knife and will stand shoulder to shoulder with the print. Mm. On you reeling and then stabilizing yourself, feeling the truth of the prince's words settle deep within your gut. We pan back up, lifted by a wave of heat and rage emanating off of Armagen to Abasi. Abasi lands with wings splayed onto the bark, onto the burning branch, and rushes over to you, Sayer, collapsed amongst this fiery brush. Sayer, you... You! And she storms forward, shouting, words being eaten by the roaring flames, but still piercing your heart with every syllable. I vouched for you. I promised, I swore. How could you do this? Sayer says nothing. The only thing that escapes his lips as there's a darkness, a glassy glaze across his eyes as fire erupts all around him. He hears Abasi's voice pierce through the oil, ash, and flame, and all he can muster is just Bussy. She grabs the front of your shirt and with one arm hoists you up to your feet and she cocks her other hand back and curls it into a violent fist. And you see so much anger and disappointment and betrayal on her face. How could you do this? And Sayer leans his neck backwards, opening his face up to the blow and says nothing. And Abasi reels back. Your eyes close, you brace for the blow, but it doesn't come. And when your eyes flicker back open, Habasi is standing there panting, holding you, shaking. And she says, as tears brim in her eyes and then evaporate from the contact with the heat around her, if our friendship ever meant anything to you, Sayer, then get your fucking shit together right now and help me save my home because I need you. I need my friend and she drops you onto your feet on the ground. Sayer's speechless for a heartbeat. And as Abasi drops him, he's overcome by pure emotion, pure love that he has for Abasi, for his friend, the one person he saw as a sibling outside of Singh. And he touches their wrist and pulls them close to a hug. His large form is shaking and he feels it for the first time. Basi's strength, real strength. This is the strength of the wild sea. To see him, to be better, to be stronger together. He understands that now. And as he pulls Abasi close, he muffles into the crook of their neck. I'm going to make this right. I promise. Fix six. Everything. 
and Abasi returns the hug, squeezes you tight with one arm and then both, lifts you up into the air, <clears throat> even though you're bigger than her physically and squeezes you so hard you feel your spine crack a little, <clears throat> that she drops you back down. Yeah, and I know my bro would never break a promise, right? Never. I swear this to you, Abasi. I swear this to every life in the wild sea, and he gestures to the leaves and the grass that's aflame, the vines that are burning to cinder. Everything will be mended. And he will press the buttons of the gauntlets that he was gifted by the Raya and looks to Abasi. As you do, and you gesture to everything, her eyes also pan around, realizing you mean everything, not just this small, that turned massive deal gone wrong by Oregonus, but everything else. And her eyes also flit up to Sing, who is fighting this forming head of Oregonus by herself, blade slashing, dispersing a flame with every blow, even as new ones crop up. And she looks back down to you. Everything. Got it? He nods and looks up to the form of his sister, his better half, flinging through vines and slicing through the enemies before her. And he says, she needs me together. And as both of you settle down with both boots planted on the bark beneath you, we pan back down to Amargen. Amargen, you saw all of this transpire between Abasi and Seir, the cocked fist and then the hug, and you feel some kind of equilibrium rippling to you through the wild sea, even as the rage continues to surge within you, and then you hear, a little to your left, a little below you, a wheezing, hacking groan. And everyone who's on the ground sees Igni stumble out of the oil slick shadows and fall to her hands and knees. Uh, as Aragnus ripped out of Seir, Igni had also let out a cry, but her cry was muffled by the roaring of the flames that erupted. And now that there is no expulsion of sound, it's becoming clear to all of you, Aragnus isn't just burning, eating up Seir. It's eating up the other barons as well, the other heralds of his appearance. Igni coughs, and a globule of black oil blood spats onto the ground. Amarjan, you are the first to see her as she stumbles. I look over at Igni. You. This is also because of you. I'll deal with the other one later. You said we were friends. You were nice to me. Amarjan, uh, you have to understand. This is, this is good. And she can't finish her sentence as oil black veins begin to web up her throat and cover her face, similar to the corruption that was seizing King Masu. But Aurigen, you weren't there to see that. All you see is a woman you once called friend consumed by a darkness that is destroying your home. No, you don't understand. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think you need to do. I don't care. This is how you get your redemption. I don't even care that you are dying right now because I will be the one to kill you first. I thought we were friends. I thought I was the wind and the wave of the sea. 
I thought it was the god who put the fire in the head, but that is wrong. I am vengeance, and I am the rage of the wild sea. I am its pain. I am its memory. I am the teeth of the dragon, and I am your end. I have a very unhinged question. I love unhinged questions, Austin. So I have this aspect that's called Guide My Hands, and it lets you borrow uh, power from an ancestor to, like, <gasps> get skills in mm-hmm. or something or whatever. Can I, like, use all of that to... Hmm. I I am the Heart of the Wild Sea. The Heart of the Wild Sea mm-hmm. is a Leviathan, and Armagen is picking what people are putting down that she seems to be somehow tied to Leviathans. Can I use all of that to call on my mother, her mother, all of the mothers before me to imbue me with their power to become a Leviathan? To turn into a motherfucking dragon? Yes, burn every single box on that track and you can turn into a Leviathan. Perfect, beautiful, I love you, Connie. Uh, (laughs) So I will do that. And as I am talking to Amy, I'm like stepping forward and like, Amrajin's mouth starts to like peel back kind of like to her ears, like too far for a human jaw. Anyone that can see her eyes, see like the people start to dilate bigger and bigger and bigger until they're like two black marbles for eyes. And her skin starts to flake off. And I think at first you're worried it's the heat, but you see underneath it these like scales that at first are like uh, blue and like white iridescent, but slowly burn to like black scales. And as I get to that, I will be the one to kill you. I spring forward and ripping out of Armagen's form is this serpentine dragon with a long snout, these like light brown, like billowy like hair, front claws, back claws, again, this like these black scales as it rips from her body, like these scales start iridescent white and blue. And as they like hit the air and the flame, like turn black and out of my mouth, you see as I roar towards Igni, you see like rolling storm clouds and lightning. Like as it opens, there's like electricity sparking in my jaws. As you transform into your heart of hearts, into the form of the storm witch, but Amergen's version of the storm witch, Feathers made of howling gales, a rippling mane of thunder and lightning and incandescent rage sparking from your maw. You grow larger and larger and taller and longer and longer, a shadow falling over Igni as she's knelt in the grime and the muck and the dirt. She tears her gaze up, black blood bleeding from the corners of her eyes, her eyes widening as she cranes her neck up and you finally tower over her in your full violent majesty. How do you move in to kill her? I am just going like snapjaw, like a predator. I don't create a storm. I don't use any sort of magic. I am just like, as soon as she looks at me, it's like, it's the thing like when you look a predator in the eye, as soon as you look the predator in the eye, it's like, oops. And I just like quick, I'm going to like go down like jaw close. Yes. Your jaw snaps forward, all that thunder and rage and lightning roiling around you, moving too fast for Zainan or Lumira or the Perrin to react. But then 
inches away from Igni's face, something lands between the two of you. Thudding down from that still-burning branch above your heads, we see Abasi Zahar, the scion of strength, punch downward with one gauntleted, feathered fist, and then spring up and hold her arms out protectively in front of Igni. Aubergine! Wait! Wait. Listen to me. I know you, princess. I know the heart of the heart. I've known you since I first laid eyes on you. You are glowing under the light of the twin moons. My father was throwing a banquet. We found each other in the gardens, away from the people, the politics. You were admiring a rose. And I thought to myself, you are the most beautiful thing in the wild sea I've ever seen. And then I told you to get out of my reach. The only embarrassing thing about us, Amergen, is that I have not been loud enough about how much I love you. Tylin Amergen, I love you! You are the wild sea's heart. But you are also my heart. You have always been my heart in every word I have called you, rival, nemesis, friend. You are my friend, Amergen, my first and my deepest. You are the mountain under my sky. You are the petals that billow in my breeze. You are everything to me, and I need you now. The Wild Sea needs you now. Please, Amargin, help me protect our home and we can rebuild it together. And I will shout from every treetop, every tall shank, every floating island how much I love you, Hylian Amargin, heart of the Wild Sea. I know who you are. I've always known who you are and you do not hurt those in pain. So please. And Abasi closes her eyes in anticipation, bracing herself in acceptance. Arms splayed, heart on her gauntlet. Spare her. Not for her. Not even for me. But for yourself. For a brief moment, these two black opaque marbles that her eyes turn blue and Amrajin gets like inches from Abasi's face and like touches her like snout to their mouth and then lets out the loudest Godzilla roar you've heard in your life as like the blue washes black again unable to contain this rage unable to stop it she does her best to direct it somewhere it should be and like whips this long serpentine body like in a coil around Abasi and Igni and then shoots up towards Aragonus. Yeah, you let out this huge roar, coil around and explode up into the air toward where Singh is, toward where Aragnus is. On your way up toward this once forgotten fire god, you coil past the Baron who is mid-air still. And just like Igni, when Aragnus had first exploded from Sayer's body, he had crumbled in mid-air, drawn into himself, 
gasped in brilliant pain and has been floating gently downward like a desiccated leaf toward the ground this whole time. And as Aubergine explodes upward, the Baron touches onto the loam with both feet and staggers forward. But when he lifts his head up, there is a smile on his mouth, even though a side of his lips is leaking black blood. And as all of these pieces start to fall into place, there is a noise, a terrible rushing noise that yawns open like the mouth of a cannibal god. Cavalcades of ash pillow downward, street-sized branches crumble into nothingness. Tongues of flame surge, roar, twine, gash, until a being a physical, writhing being blazes into existence at last. Oregnus has formed. He is a dragon. He is a god. He is made of pure fire. Unlike any dragon the Wild Sea has ever seen, he has limbs. Four limbs with razor-sharp claws of flame, each claw, each talon, the size of a building. He also has wings, just one pair of them, bright and blazing, each the width of an entire horizon. Regnus's burning back claws stomp onto the wet, pliant loam of the bottom of the wild sea, and all of you can hear the plants screaming, can hear the dirt roaring, popping, crackling as fistfuls of sparks erupt upward from the contact. Sing, who has been slashing at these flames this entire time, lands back on the branch where Seir is. Sweat, mats, her mane to her face, but her eyes are bright, focused, pink. She throws a line of caution over her shoulder at her brother and at the rest of her strike team. Careful! He's even stronger than he looks! We need to hit him with everything, now! And Oregnus laughs. A booming, burning laugh that sets even more of the darkness under Eve's ablaze, and when he speaks, the speech rings out from every moat of fire, every gasp of heat, every burning pile of ash. It doesn't even come from the maw of the dragon god, it comes from every lick of flame. And he says, Ah, it has been long, too long since I have taken shape in the journey proper. It is time for the wild sea to burn to ash. And now let's pan to each of you to see what you do. Starting with Zynan. As Singh has been occupied with Aragnus proper, the fire has turned to fire inside of Zynan. He watched the scions go off to actually protect their reaches, the actual wild sea the mission that he hoped that they were on to save the Wild Sea. But the mission, for once, is not the thing in the front of his mind. This embodiment of what should feel like oblivion roiling and raging around them doesn't feel like oblivion to him. 
the Baron, all of his moves, all of this quiet strategy burns at Zynan. And he thinks about his family all together and all the rage that he put away when Trans was told that we weren't hunting Oblivion anymore, but we could still stop people. The Baron did a lot of this and Zynan charges towards him with fire in his eyes. Okay, as you rush toward the Baron, he lands on his feet, is looking up with that half-wicked smile cocked on his mouth. Ugh. Ugh. Zynan Ash. Good, good, yes, come. I need your help. Zynan punches him. Okay, that's a, that's a roll. That's an action roll. Is that gonna be teeth or iron or something else? Teeth. Makes sense. What skill are you bringing in? He's cold cocking him, so I'm gonna say like a an outwit, not even like oh yeah we're out. no I'm just gonna punch you. Just yep, sucker punch. Go for it. I'm gonna cut one. Well, it's uh, a pair of fives. So that's a twist yeah. with a conflict. That's right. Success with a drawback. So you do punch him, but there is there is a drawback. Where are you trying to clock? What side of the face? I think Zynan comes up to him and he can feel that arm that he trained so hard to get with Dom that he's still not quite great at, but you know what? He was taught to sucker punch with the best of them. And he comes at him going towards his lower jaw. You did this! And you remember Dom's instructions ringing in your head so far away, but the words still stick from the hip, darling. And you cock that fist forward and it connects with the side of this man's jaw and he staggers backward. You hear a crack. But your fist also starts to feel numb as you stumble forward from, I think, the force of your momentum. You were throwing everything at him. And when you look back up at your knuckles, you see that the tips of them are starting to flake to ash. (coughs) Oh... My, my, you really do have a bit of fire behind those dead eyes, don't you, Zynan Ash? Those dead ghost eyes that should have been buried on a world you left behind. We're not so different, you and I. Come, help this old man, and I can usher you, spare you, give you mercy in this new world. I don't want your new world. No? Well, the new world wants you, Zaninesh, and it's going to drag you into it, kicking and screaming, whether you like to or not. So the only question is, do you want to crawl to the future on your belly and elbows like a dead man? Or are you going to walk toward it with your head held high like me? You're not going to have a head to hold high. (laughs) Fine, then. What about you, girl? Healer. And the Baron calls across the chaos toward Lumira. Lumira watched all of this go on and like eternally like cheered on pop pop with that punch. Like, oh, where do you learn that left hook from? Go on ahead. But then she starts listening and her eyebrow quirks. She doesn't say anything. But what she does do is hold her head up high and walk directly towards the Baron. And the twist from Zynan's role earlier is something I'll give to both Zynan and Lumira. On the Baron's face, the two of you recognize a look. 
that is very familiar to you at this point. It is a look of total and complete, utter confidence in himself. Confidence to the degree that it shudders him from seeing anything else. And as you approach Lumira, he draws himself up back to his full height, even as he <coughs> coughs. And instead of oil coming out of his mouth like it did for Agony, a plume of ash explodes from his lips. <coughs> my, my, isn't this ash beautiful, like white-winged butterflies on the edge of death? Are you hurt? You look in pain. Yes, I am. Very perceptive, though I expect nothing less from a healer of such startling acumen as yourself. Aragnus is a powerful god, and all power demands sacrifice, demands worship, demands kneeling in the dirt. For strength, and what Aragnus has demanded of me, <coughs> just a little fragment of my soul, nothing more. Uh, oh, but heal me. Now, expeditiously, heal me and I shall spare you and perhaps your fool old man and usher you into a future that Aragnus will bring. One condition. I hold a higher card here, you see. You're hurt and I can help. I'm all more than willing to do so. However, we're not going to touch my friends. We're not going to touch me. Fair enough? Lumira. I have this, Zynan. Don't worry about me. Do we have a deal, Baron? <laughs> yes, yes, let the girls speak, Ash. So you are bargaining <coughs> my recovery for the lives of Strike Team Nova, yes. Four lives, I think that can be arranged. Yes, we have a deal. Well then, I would be honored to assist Baron. And Lumira grins. And it's weird on her. Lumira does not grin like this at all. But she smiles. And in her head, the pain of becoming. The pain of becoming. And she will kneel down, open up her cloak, and start to heal the Baron. <laughs> As you drop down to one knee and the Baron comes forward and also kneels down and allows you to reach a hand out and start your healing process. Upon the contact of your fingers upon his pale robe, we flash up, 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 up to the fire, to the heat, to the roiling, roiling, coiled form of Aragnus and to Seir's face lit up under the heat of that blaze, Abbasi's words ringing in your ears, even as your sister casting one last conflicted look at you, Sayer, before she launches herself upward and joins Amargen. What do you do? My strike team needs me. My sister needs me. We came into this journey together and we will endure this journey together. Sayer looks at this flame and he understands the truths finally of the entire cosmology of the journey. Let's use it. And he remembers that sapphire spark, that gem within him. And he internally asks, please, please let this work. Let me be that siphon. And what I would like to do is use my search for omens trait to ask a question specifically 
on how can I siphon away Oregnus's flame and eat it. Oh, and eat it? It came from me. I'm taking it back. What does it look like as you try to speak omen and seek truth? He does what he usually does. His mind plunges backward into a deep darkness within him. And this time it's not a pool of oil. His eyes are lit blue and this space feels like it illuminates with a dim light of blue. And all he says is this. If this is the doom that Oregnus wants, then let me hold it. Let me hold it and let me keep it. The blue light surges, turns deeper, turns red as the flames of Oregnus roar around you as you beg for something out there. Plead, pray, speak within yourself, speak unto the journey itself for answers for power, for the ability to siphon, and it comes to you with clarity. To draw the flames into yourself is to hold pain, destruction, annihilation within your own soul. You are going to take a lot of damage, maybe even more, if you try to siphon everything that our rightness is. You, Sahir, powerful, uncontrolled as you are, for our rightness, in many ways, were a mere doorway, a portal, a means through which he could claw his way into the now. You are more than that, of course, but your connection to a regness right now is just that of an open window. If you want to be more, if you wish to be a container, if you wish to be a warden, you must give up some aspect of yourself to hold him. And Seiya remembers that sensation of static and electricity as he fueled Stormchaser. And he looks up at the shadow of his antlers. The edges then hold it like a storm conductor. It is a flash of an image in his mind of Igni, the fuel for all of this, the thing that must be severed. And he feels that flash of gold eyes in his head as his true hunt begins. All right. And he will as the door, as the conduit, open up his arms and allow the flame to lick over his clothes, setting it ablaze, going up into his hair and fueling all of the flame to act as a siphon. His antlers. Connie, I give you my antlers. Okay. I love it. I'm still going to need you to roll for it. Yep. But I love it. I'll give you an extra d6 for the antlers. So what edge are you bringing in? I am bringing iron. I need to hold this flame and I will pitch a brace. Okay. I think that makes sense. Roll for it. I'm going to cut one <laughs> for how difficult it is. God damn. All right. <laughs> I rolled a five and a two. <gasps> a five. That's a disaster. Okay. So that is a failure and a complication or a drawback. Sayer. Yes. I know you now. I know where you come. It's in the blood. It's in the blood. I'm going to use my whisper. <laughs> okay, let's go. Yeah, as you speak this into existence, I think technically how whispers work is you have to roll an additional d6. Mm-hmm. And empower your action roll. Come on, die. That is a five on the die. That's a success. Yes, success with just a drawback. That's fine. You were expecting it anyway. 
flames begin to surge toward you like you are a black hole, like you have gravity, like you are a storm conductor. The flames billow around you, licking, roaring up your body, singeing your clothes, your upper robes to nothing, exposing your bare chest. They lick up your antlers and they burn them to ash. It crumbles down past your form, the flowers that were blooming upon it also beginning to crumble to ash. You see petals flit by your gaze, your eyes, and I need you to mark two from the pain of siphoning. But what this does help create is distraction and disorientation for Arachnus. Up above your head, this flame dragon lets out a and spews out a big cloud of incendiary fire in a cone in front of it as it I meant what I said, beast. I will kill you Nat let me show you how a god destroys Amergen as you rock it upward toward the form of this leviathan god in your own leviathan form how are you attacking Aregnus? like a to Apex Predators fighting. I think I I get up there and I'm going to like do the serpentine thing of like coiling around and I'm just like trying to like bite at like the neck, bite at the face. I don't know if any sort of like damage for me will like fuel this fire. Like fire is such a... I've now seen fire twice. <laughs> Both times it was not good. So I don't want to like... I know like fire take fuel. I don't want to add fuel to it. So I'm just like physically like biting and scratching and like trying to coil and like restrain. Absolutely, make an action roll for me, please. What edge are you bringing in? That's such a good question. This feels like teeth (laughs) or iron to me. That sounds good, let's say teeth. Okay, what skill is coming to bear? Skill, let's say, it's definitely not flourish, can I? Could I angle for a hunt? Yeah, hunt? Yes, absolutely. Go for it. Since you are in your Leviathan form, <laughs> you get to add an extra 3d6 to your roll. This is great. <laughs> it's so great to be here. Welcome to the club of extra 3d6s. I got two fives and a six. I don't know what of that is. That is a triumph with a twist. Yes, that is a complete success with no drawbacks and an additional little thing. So what does it look like as you're coiling around a Regnus, biting him and preventing your own attacks from fueling him? What it looks like is I, I come up and I think Regnus for a bit is like distracted by this whole sea air thing and doesn't see me shoot out from where I coiled up and sprung out. And I just wrap around the like top torso until I'm like left just looking at the face and I fully like bite down on the neck like hard and like like jaw lock hard like I'm not letting go as the Regnus tries to like thrash me off. Like a crocodile in a death roll, you chop your jaws around the neck of a Regnus and, and he lets on a nets on all sides. So on and rips his claws up and starts 
clawing at you, but you're able to move your serpentine form in such a way that his claws don't get full purchase on you. You have a complete success here. Not only that, you are the reincarnation of the Storm Witch, Amergen. You are made of water, storm, lightning. And where your jaws close around this dragon made of fire, there's a hissing noise as plumes of steam erupt from his neck and start to burn his fire away. And he continues clawing at you. The twist you get is you know two weaknesses in this moment of Aragonus. One is water, is storm. Enough of it, gallons of it, gales of it will hurt him. The other is that he is still not yet fully empowered. There is an apex of his form he hasn't quite reached. So the best time to beat him is right the fuck now. Sing is also like flying around up here, right? Yes, she's right next to you, hopping from platform to platform <laughs> that she's conjuring under her feet and slashing with her longsword. I like see Sing jump, and one of the times she jumps, I like put my claw out for Sing to land on it. Okay, she lands perfectly. I bring Sing close to my jaw that I don't want to let go, but like to talk. Get me an opening. Stall him. I know what to do. Yes. Yes. You are... Very cool, Amergen. All right, let's go. You hear that, Sayer? An opening! And Sing launches herself off of Amergen's claw and starts slashing forward at the pits, the coal black pits of Aregnus' eyes, shouting out, over here, big guy, hey! And she's like at the top of her lungs, slashing, dancing, doing what Sing does, being a distraction. Loud and clear, sister. And as the flames continue to swirl around Amergen, swirl around Sing, swirl around Sayer, we follow that cyclone all the way back down to the darkness under eaves, where we see Suhyun. They're looking between all of these different fights occurring at Igni, still immobile, knees in the dirt, looking down at her black oil-stained hands, at the Baron, Zainan, and Lumira, up at Oregnus, Sing, and Amergen, up at the Storm Conductor with seared-off antlers that is Seir, up at Abasi, who has launched herself into the air as well and is diving and pecking and flying and soaring in perfect concert with Sing, distracting this beast. And then Suhyon takes a deep breath, and they exhale. And on that exhale, their eyes close, and inside their own mind, we hear the sound of a single drop of water falling onto a calm pool. And when they open their eyes again, it's glowing that same bright cerulean hue as Amergen's storm breath. And all of you feel Suhyon's presence, their sorcery, their arconautical power rise within you. Every single person here gets to clear three boxes. As Suhyon, Scion of Mind, helps center each of your focuses. On that sense of centering, we swirl through the bedlam to find Lumira and Zainan. Lumira, the Baron has opened up the front part of his robe to expose his chest. Specifically, the skin above his heart, 
over his sternum is beginning to flake away to ash. And you don't even see gristle and bone and tendon and joint and muscle. All you see is just more ash all the way down. But as big chunks of it start peeling off, he's <coughs> coughing more and more. And he starts to direct your hand toward that wound. Heal me, girl. Do it. As you wish. And Lumira will reach into her coat, reach into her cloak, and start pulling out stuff that she typically uses to heal. Except for one major important component to her. And instead... I myself would like to, as I'm in the midst of healing him, use a whisper of mine beneath the surface. <gasps> beneath the surface? Okay. Can I describe what happens, Connie? Or... You know what? Yes. Yes, and I will interrupt if anything seems akimbo, but go cool. ahead. So, what happens? Lumira starts going through her regular steps to heal. Except... Zynan, you realize Lumira doesn't have her poultice. She's not using the thing that she always uses before she starts to heal. And she reaches her hand to his chest and you see the wound itself start to heal and sinew back together. <sighs> but then it continues and it reverts all the way back to the point where now it's going forward through time and starts to decay as the rest of his chest starts to decay like the wound Lumira just healed. Fuck, yes, Lumira, I'm gonna need you to make an action roll, but add 3d6 because of the drifter's blessing. When you use chronergy beyond your usual limits, which I think this applies, you're trying to control this time magic surging within you in a way that bursts out of you with Amaru, but here you're specifically trying to conduct it. And you also get an additional 1d6 from the Whisper. So what edge are you bringing in? Edge, I'm going to do sharps. Okay, makes sense. Skill. And skill, tend. <laughs> Tend with quotation marks around with it. Quotation yes. marks around it for sure. Okay, Make that so roll. that's that's hold on, that's a lot of dice. <laughs> okay, that is a six, a five, and two fours. And that is a triumph with a twist. The skin patches up and heals, becomes perfectly smooth, perfectly pale. The baron lets out a Ah, of relief that slowly turns into a low groan of confusion as wrinkles begin to form over this skin. Wrinkles that get deeper and deeper like crevasses and valleys and a kind of dark rot begins to spread upward from sternum, clutching black fingers toward his throat. He lets out a... <clears throat> what are you? <sighs> Girl, no. What do you think? And the twist is this, Lumira, as you are surging forward in time, creating a localized liminal, 
That's what you're doing, Lumira. You're creating a localized liminal over the Baron's skin, his body, conforming the shape of it to his sternum. You fall into a slipstream of his memories. And then you see him, all of him, who the Baron is, what he wants, what he might ever be. You see a boy, pale and starved for all the things that truly matter, looking up at his distant father. The father tells the boy of the fate that was robbed from them, a fate of oil, ash, and flame, a fate of unspeakable riches, a fate of domination and conquest. He curses the wild sea, he curses the green, he dies cursing and spitting and worn. The boy becomes a man. The man goes on a quest to find success where his forebears had failed. The key behind the Verdancy's true downfall, the truth behind its heart of hearts. And then, when the man himself is old and worn, he finds it, dredged from the depths of a sunken temple, which his ashen fleet gleefully raises to the ground. An ancient tome about the guides, those heralds of Aragonus's death, those omens of his dread god's doom. He mouths the words, heart of hearts, and he knows what must be done. The rest of the barren story is known to you, Mira, but three things stand out. The first is that for all his promises to you and Zynan, there is no future. The barren is fed by vengeance, destruction, a desire to burn down the green and let everything rot to dust. There is no after, there is only ash. All he desires is the destruction of the wild sea. The second is that this world, this plane, it was never meant to be read. It's soul. You've known this since your mission briefing. It was always green. Aregnus is destruction, pure destruction. He is not the fate of this place. He is its doom. The third is the Baron's name, Noah. And with that, you are ripped out of Noah's past, his present, his ashen future, the strings and ties of time buzzing around you in perfect resonance. Noah's eyes are wide and pale and old, so old and worn, so worn. And you realize he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know you peered right into everything he was, is, could have been, will be, and even now, even now, he underestimates you. Girl, what do you think you're doing? Turn this back right this instant, and I might still spare you yet. My name is not Girl Noah. It's Lumera. Get it right. And I push him direct, like push them directly in their chest, like away from me. As you shove the Baron away, you see in the empty space in front of you as his torso crumbles onto the ground, a glitching crimson, beautifully, violently red X.
This episode was edited by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our original intro theme music is by Jonathan Charles. Transplaner RPG is supported by our incredible Patreon precepts. Folks pledge to our highest tier on Patreon. A massive thank you to Eliza Fuller, Rose, Cassidy, Jordan, Phil, Derek Davidson, Brooke in Seattle, Spencer, Lyle and Peanut, Mark J, Alex, Hat, Scrofasis, Lex Slater, Chiacres, Cora Eckert, and Charles. Pledge to our Patreon today for as little as $3 a month to unlock exclusive news, character sheets, GM notes, and even the chance for your tabletop OC to cameo in our show. Until next time, Transplay Nerds!